While some daring individuals from Westchester joined Josh and I on a surprise trip to Guatemala, we had the opportunity to ride a chicken bus. Um, and it's as good as it sounds. Um, now, chi a chicken bus is, is you, take a, you take a school bus and you just soup it up beyond reason, give it the flashiest paint job you can, and take out anything resembling padding. Um, and then drive it up a mountain that, that any other school bus has no business being on. And that's what we did. Uh, the whole while, a, a rock about this big was firmly wedged between two tires, giving a, a, a hypnotic to the, uh, to the ride. Uh, it was like there was a speed bump just traveling with us. Uh, but when we got up there, we got to a school. And we played with kids, and we showed the Jesus film. The Jesus film for children. Shortened. Talks, there's kids throughout the whole movie talking about who Jesus is. And then, and then snippets of the Jesus film. And they, they tone down the crucifixion scene to make it easier for children to watch. Um, while still getting the point across. And then... They, they had a lady named Maria talk about who Jesus is, what Jesus does for us, and, and how to know Jesus and to pray to have your sins forgiven. And then she would ask, who wants to do this? And all these hands would go up. And, uh, and maybe, like it, I'm going to be really careful here. I looked out in the first classroom, the top picture, and, I, and all I could think was how much God loves these children, these K'iche children who, who don't yet have a fully finalized version of the Bible in their language, but it's, it's getting close. Maria's actually one of the lead translators on it. And I, I see their hands go up, and I, I think a whole variety of things. One, do these kids know why they're raising their hand? Are, are, are some of them... Have, Maybe some of these kids weren't paying attention. They see everyone else's hands go up and they don't want to be left out of lunch that's coming up afterwards. And there's clearly some kids who are raising their hands genuinely. And they, they, they get that, that they need to know Jesus. And for these, these kids who are starting a faith journey with Jesus, for the, for the kids in these two schools that you see represented who are raising their hand because they know they need Jesus. And here's the thoughts that go through my head. One day a farmer went out to sow his seed, and he cast it out. And some of the seed fell on the, on the path and was immediately eaten by the birds. And some of the seed fell among the thorns. And it grew a little bit, but then with the was then choked out by the weeds. And some of it fell among the rocks and it grew really quickly, but then the sun dried it out and some of it fell on the good soil and it grew and bore fruit a hundredfold. And I wonder which of those hands represent a path? Which of those hands represent rocks? Which of those hands represent thorns and weeds? And which of those hands are going to bear fruit a hundredfold? And what are those towns and families going to look like 10, 15, 20 years from now? I also wonder, 
how these kids will experience the ups and downs of faith that I've experienced. Moments where they feel really close to God. Moments where it feels like their prayers are bouncing off the ceilings. The questions I face as I read scripture, what will their questions be? Who will help them understand the answers to these questions? Because truth is available. Who will help them understand what the Holy Spirit's doing inside of them? Who will help them understand that they are now a new creation? The old is gone, the new has come. That they're new, they're completely different than they were five minutes before this film started. How are they going to do what Paul tells us to do in Philippians to work out their salvation with fear and trembling? That's what we all do. We're we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Salvation changes us. And it's incredibly exciting especially as we feel the newness of this relationship with God, and we witness that in new believers. There's a really exciting thing to that, but we as people have a tendency to get tired in relationships. It's why we have phrases such as, oh, they're in the honeymoon phase of their relationship. Which, depending on the marriage, sometimes lasts only a matter of hours before sin comes in and blows that honeymoon phase right out of the water. But what happens to us as Christians, even those of us who have been walking with Christ a long time, what happens to us as we get tired in our relationship with God? What happens when the idea of daily devotions gets hard to follow up on and to follow through with? What happens when our tragically short attention span is met with the need to wait on the Lord. I think two things happen. One, and this is the better thing, is that we experience faith-filled waiting that produces joy, spirit-filled strength, and a deeper walk with God. We see the full picture of Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up with wings like eagles. And we experience all of that when we wait on the Lord. The second thing that sometimes happens when people wait on the Lord is they get tired of it and they turn to others for what only God can give. God, my relationship isn't getting better. My job isn't getting better. My finances aren't getting better. My children aren't getting better. My illness isn't going away. And so we turn to others for what only God promises, for what only God can give. And that's where the people of Hosea's time were. That's what they did. Our crops are failing. Things aren't going right. But there's these other gods that promise great things. And so I'm going to go there, but they can't deliver. Only God can provide. Only God can deliver. Only God can save our souls. Only God can satisfy us. And and it's not just the people of Hosea's time. God's people did this almost the moment they left Egypt. They get across the Red Sea. Moses goes up on the mountain. Ah, we need a calf. 
We need a gold image to bow down to. And Paul in 1 Corinthians tells, tells us that this early idolatry that carries all through God's people in the Old Testament is to serve as a warning for us who worship God today that we would only worship him with our whole heart and that we wouldn't turn our affections to others. And Hosea serves as a call for those of us who struggle to give God that whole body affection, that whole body, whole mind, whole strength worship. For those of us who have a tendency in various ways, in different parts of our lives, to walk out on God. To remember that God calls us out of grace. He calls us out of his own character, not based on our merit. That even when these people were walking away, like Gomer walked away from Hosea in their marriage, when we walk away from God, when our affection starts to get split, that there's this grace-filled call. And God's grace-filled call that we see in Hosea 12 is threefold. And the first thing is it's a call to return. Let's read verses 2 through 6 here. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the, in the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. It's interesting that we have this, verse 2 and verse 6 feels so different because it starts with an indictment. There's an indictment against Judah. All, all Hosea, we've been hearing about Ephraim. We're going to hear more about Ephraim. But here he comes against Judah. But then he says, and will punish Jacob according to his ways. And this is for everyone. Because he, I'm punishing the family of Jacob. You are his family tree. You're all going to get it. And this indictment comes against Judah and against Jacob. Now, what's important for us to understand here is the, the feeling of pride people had with being associated with Jacob. This was more than patriotic. It was so much deeper than what our, what, whatever your level of patriotism is. And, and I know it's, it's varying across this room. And for some of us, it's very deep. But this was much more than a patriotic pride. This was, for the first covenant followers of God, this was, being a descendant of Jacob was everything. This was your, this was your promise for your land, for your inheritance. This was your, your spiritual identity that, that elevated you above the other nations. Because only you worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Only you were called by the name Israelites. It was your security. It was your guarantee to be in his family tree. 
But God does something really interesting here because he starts out, he says, I have an indictment against you. But then he doesn't go on to list all the sins for why the indictment is coming. And by this point in Hosea, we know those sins. There's idolatry. There's forsaking and rejecting the knowledge of God. There's all the injustice, so on and so forth. We know the sins. The sins have been listed off clearly. But here's the indictment. And instead of saying it's your sin, he goes back to where Jacob started. And he recounts the life of Jacob. He, was, he got a name for grasping his brother's heel at birth, that he was holding on to Esau on the way out. He swindled Esau out of the birthright and the blessing. And that's represented in the grabbing of the heel. But then he didn't just strive with Esau in that way. He strove with God. He wrestled the angel at night. He prevailed and he said, remember this, I'm, I'm holding on to you. I won't let go until you bless me. I'm going to cling to you until I get a blessing out of this. He met with God at Bethel. There God spoke with us. And the Lord of hosts, when, he, when Jacob clung to him and said, I'm not, I'm not letting you go until I get a blessing, his name changed to Israel. And Hosea's commentary on it is the, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. That he has a new name. And so the indictment isn't all of your sin, but it's look back to how this all started. You, you have that name because of God's blessing. Remember the blessing. Remember God saying, remember my involvement, even from the moment of Jacob's birth. And you would forget my knowledge. You would forget my justice. You would forget my decrees, my law, my worship. You would forget all those things. Don't forget where all of this started. And there was a thinking that was pervasive at the time that can still impact us at deep levels. And, and here's the thinking. Because of who I am, for them it was because I'm a descendant of Jacob. For us it might be different. Because of who I am, my political affiliation, my, uh, my church attendance, the large phylactery I wear on my head, for those of you who are paying attention to Adult Bible Fellowship. Because of who I am, I somehow deserve this. Because I've, I've, helped, I've helped people cross the street. Because I go to the right movies. Because I listen to the right music. That we think that somehow we deserve this. That God owes it to us. And there's nothing we can do to be worthy of God's love. It's His grace. It's by His grace you've been saved. It's grace alone. And so God says to the people, this indictment, remember, remember where this all started. 
And his next words aren't woe to you in the indictment. But it's the heart of the book of Isaiah. So you, Israel, Israelites in Judah, the descendants of Jacob, so you, by the help of your God, return. He doesn't say, get your act together. He doesn't say, cut the junk, quit sinning, become righteous enough, and then follow me. He says, by, by the help of me, return. Let me help you return to me. And it's by the help of God that we walk with him, that his Holy Spirit comes, convicts us of sin, leads us to truth, equips us for ministry and for following him. That he gives us his word, that we can know his ways, that we can know his desires, that we can know his heart, that we can know how to walk with him. And So many times we go through life and we just try and do it all. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to do this. I can do this. I am capable. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. And we push on. Thinking that we can accomplish righteousness on our own. And the heart of Hosea 12, 6, the heart of God there is the same heart that God has today, which is, by my help, walk with me. Let me help you follow me. Return. And then we have hold fast, which is a reminder to what Jacob was doing in the tent as he was wrestling the angel. He's saying, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And it's hold fast to love and to justice and wait continually for your God. What if we clung like our life depended on it to loving God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor is ourself. What if we clung to that, like our life depended on it, like that, that I'm not letting go of the idea of loving my neighbor as myself. I'm going to refuse to not do this. What if justice meant so much to us that we were willing to do more than click like on something on Facebook that, that trumpeted a cause for justice. That our time and our money went to ending modern day slavery. Went to loving the poor. We need God's word so we don't forget how much he loves the poor and calls us to love the poor. I have, a, I have a friend of mine who, the most stinging challenge he ever gave me was, he goes, Chuck, you say you love the poor, but do you know the poor? You say you love the oppressed, do you know them? And to wait continually on God. I think, I think waiting on God is, 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 this, is a vivid picture for us of faith. God, I believe your promises and I'm going to follow you as, as well as I can believing your promise. It doesn't make sense to me, but God, I believe that you're true. I believe that your promises will never fail and so I'm just going to follow you believing that one day Christ will return.
Return. By the help of God, return. And hold fast to these things. That's the first call. The first grace feel called. The second grace feel called is to wake up. Look at what's going on around you. Verse 7. A merchant in whose hands are false balances. He loves to oppress. Ephraim, here he is again, said, Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. And in all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I will make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feasts. Wake up. These people, and when I say these people, I I certainly include myself, suffered from a lack of self-awareness. And he likens them to a merchant who has false balances. And here's what it was. A lot of times silver, they didn't necessarily have coins, so they'd just weigh it out. Ah, this much silver for, for this much rice or sheep or whatever it is they're buying, clothing. And so what they'd do is they'd have false balances. They'd have a balance, and they'd pull out a weight that looked like the size of a shekel, but might have a a weighted center so it was heavier. So they'd get more money. Or when they were paying, they'd have a hollowed-out center. They'd put up some sort of monetary donut with a hollowed-out center, and they'd, so they didn't have to pay as much. And they, they'd make their money by ripping people off left and right. And then someone would come and say, you're ripping me off. No, look, it's, these are the balances. I'm just doing what the balance says. I'm all good. Sorry you feel cheated. The last guy must have ripped you off. In me, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. You know what 1 John tells us about the person who says, I have no sin in me? It says they call God a liar. You know, Jesus basically quotes this when he talks about the church of Laodicea. In Revelation 3.17. says to the Laodiceans, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. Sin blinds us. We need God's help to return to Him because sin blinds us. And we need a guide in salvation. And Jesus is that guide. Sin will blind you every time. It'll blind you to your own flaws. It'll blind you to make you think that earthly success means heavenly righteousness. It will blind you into thinking that even though you're doing something that's clearly wrong, that there's no fault in you because you're just looking out for old number one, right? You're just embracing the cultural values. If, if I don't take it, someone else will, so I might as well. Don't confuse worldly success with God's blessing and approval. Don't minimize your sin. 
And then God takes their, their claim of innocence and he says, I'm the Lord your God. That should be enough for us to say, you're right, I'm completely sinful. He's the God who searches me, who knows me, who knows my every thought, who knows my waking hours. He's the one to point out to me my sin. And he's the God who called them out of Egypt. A a change that's both political and religious. And his punishment is to do, is to, to have them relive their exodus from Egypt in a way. I will again make you dwell in tents as the day of, your, of the appointed feasts. See, they were commanded to once a year have a feast of booze where they set up tents, they all went camping together, remembered the time of the wilderness and how God provided for them. It was to be a yearly reminder of God's goodness, of God's provision, of God's salvation. And God's saying, I'm gonna, we're, we're going to do that feast, but it's not going to be pretend camping. You're going to be in exile and you're going to have to relearn who I am. By my help, you're going to return to me. In Hosea 2, he said it this way. He said, I'm going to take you out into the desert and I'm going to speak tenderly to you. Verse 9 has been his plan all along. I'm going to remove these false gods you call lovers. I'm going to take you out into the desert. I'm going to take you out into the wilderness. And I'm going to remind you of how much I love you of how I'm the only one who can really provide what you're looking for. And you're going to return to me by my help. So it's a call to wake up. And we need to be careful how we react to challenges. Because sometimes the challenges in our life is God getting a hold of us, taking us to a wilderness and speaking tenderly to us. Remember how I care for you. Remember how I forgive you. Remember how I provide. And we need to have the patience to sit in that discomfort and listen to Him. We need to not forget what God has done for us, to be ever grateful for his salvation, his continued grace in our lives, and his mercy that's new every morning. We need to wake up, and we need to listen. And that's the last call. Listen up. And this reveals another reason why we need God's help to return. And it's because sin deafens us. It stops our ears. Look what God says. He goes, I spoke to the prophets. Remember back in chapter 9 of Hosea. said, you guys regard the prophets as madmen. You think they're nuts. You think they're wackadoodles. And so you just ignore everything they say. And God says, I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied the visions. And through the prophets gave parables. We're in a culture that is constantly repackaging truth. The problem when when I was in high school that everyone was freaking out about was culture says there is no absolute truth. And now we're in a culture that, that says all truth is absolute and you need to live your truth. And it's so self defeating and self contradicting that it's maddening. Because your truth and my truth aren't the same truth, but if we both live them, then we're both right. And you can see how we are, where we are as a culture, when all truth is put on an equal plane. 
And God is saying to them, I've been giving you my truth. I've spoken to you through the prophets, through visions, hundreds of times. It's been multiplied to you. And we need to listen for God's truth. If there was... If there is iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal, they, in Gilgal, they sell, sacrifice bulls. Their altars are like stone heaps and furrows in the field. He's saying, look, there's sin everywhere. The sacrifices are to the point they mean nothing because you haven't been listening. And we need to be careful to listen to God's Word. We have such a need for Scripture in our life. Let's not neglect it. Let's fill our minds and hearts. This is how we listen to God. We listen to God through His Word. We also listen to God through each other. And there's a unique value in coming together as God's people. We, we have an embarrassment of riches with resources for the Gospel. You can listen to the best preaching available to us today on YouTube, on your podcasts. And, and there's so many times where we, we see, especially younger generations, falling to the temptation of replacing meeting together with God's people as the body of Christ. They're replacing that with a podcast in their car. And they're not the same thing. The podcasts are helpful. They're so meaningful. They can help you deepen your walk with Christ greatly. They do not replace meeting with God's people, hearing from one another, praying for one another, knowing that you have another person who all week is praying for you as you're praying for them. Knowing there's another person you can go to and say, I don't understand what God's telling me in this time. Matt Chandler's a great pastor for his church. He's a great preacher for people who listen to him. If you call this week and say, Matt Chandler, I need help with my job and figuring out God's direction, he's going to say, don't call me. We don't have the same area code. Be in the body of Christ. Care for one another. Pray for one another. Lift each other up. Help clarify the confusion that we have when spiritual decisions meet emotion, meet finances, meet conflict. We need clarity, and sin is going to deafen you in all of those high-risk situations. You need God's Word. You need each other. And now the prophet redirects back to Jacob. See, the, the last reference to Jacob was kind of this highlight reel where those who like were like, oh, I'm, I'm such a Jacobite, whatever it is, they would have like puffed up their chest. Oh, look how great Jacob was. And now like the, the blooper reel comes in. And the embarrassment they would have felt has got to be similar to what reformers feel when they remember the anti-Semitism of Martin Luther. That my hero had serious flaws. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife, for a wife he guarded sheep. 
Remember when Jacob got tricked? Remember when Jacob spent all those years and he had to escape by night and he had to run away from his father-in-law? Remember that? There's serious flaws in here. And if your salvation is going to be found in that guy, it's not going to get you very far. And then in contrast, we have verse 13, by a prophet... The people you regard as mad by a prophet. The Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. By a prophet, he was guarded. The most impressive thing about Moses isn't that he stood up to Pharaoh. Isn't that he had a lot of frogs come out of nowhere. But that he led the people to the mountain of God, went up that mountain, met with God on behalf of the people, brought down the law. He pleaded to God for mercy when they created the golden calf. The people didn't need a political figure. They needed someone to stand before God because Pharaoh wasn't their greatest enemy. The wrath of God was their greatest threat. And for us, we need to realize, man, there's so many threats to us. And we need to be be saved from a lot of things. And one of those things we need to be saved from is the consequence of our sin. And your career won't do that. Your marriage won't do that. Your children won't do that. Only Jesus will do that. We need a prophet who will go before God on our behalf and come and teach us what it is to walk with God in freedom. And that's Jesus, our Savior, our priest, our king, and our prophet. Ephraim is given bitter provocation, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. Sin deafens us. Their pride, their sin, their flesh have stopped their ears from hearing. Truth and righteousness are calling. Don't silence God's wisdom with your own wisdom. One day when I was working at camp, my now brother-in-law and I were uh, belaying the climbing tower. It was a 40-foot climbing tower. And so we have harnesses and ropes. And when someone wanted to climb, they'd click into the other end of the rope and we'd belay them. And we were trained very specifically on how to belay up this climbing tower. How to hold, so we always had a hand on the rope. There was never a moment where we didn't have two hands on the rope, so that if they fell at a moment, they would only fall inches instead of feet. To always keep that rope tight, no matter what, no matter how low or high they were, that that rope was tight, so that if they fell, the rope and the harness would do their job and there'd be no injury. So one day, my brother in law and I, we are belaying the climbing tower. And a girl on staff, we were kind of in a down spot in this, uh, as far as busyness goes, and this girl on staff wanted to just climb the tower real quick, and she came over, she goes, can one of you belay me? And my brother-in-law said, yeah, go ahead and clip in. And so she clipped in, and she starts climbing, and he's standing there talking to me like this. I said, uh, Brian, shouldn't you be tightening that up? He goes, oh, she's only like a couple feet off the ground. It, it's, you don't have to really keep it tight till they're higher. I'm like, are you sure? Like, I feel like you should be tightening that. He goes, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. And he just keeps talking. And while he's talking, she goes, I'm starting over. 
Her feet were about yay high off the ground. She landed flat on the ground from a few feet up. She was not injured, but I mean, the expression of looks could kill. He should not be walking today. (laughs) How many times do we hear the warnings of God come? Love me with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Look after orphans and widows in their distress. Keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Repent of your sin. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How many times do we hear these warnings and we think, I got it. It doesn't matter till later on. I'm, I'm pretty good where I'm at right now. And we ignore those warnings. We ignore that training of God. And we don't realize it till it's too late. God calls us and wants us over and over again through the Scripture, through the Holy Spirit, through His body to return to Him. And we over and over and over again are too quick to tone it out. There's something better on my phone. There's something better on my TV. There's something better in my list of goals. We need to stop doing that and accept the call to by His help return to Him. Because we have a prophet who's gone ahead of us. We have a prophet who has clearly made the way, who has set a new covenant for us that we can walk with God. That by saying Jesus is Lord, believing in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we can be saved. And He sends His Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts, to lead us through conviction of sin to the truth and equips us for ministry. So now we're going to turn our hearts and ears to the prophet. And what I invite you to do is is to wake up and listen. And if if there's some sin in your heart that's been brought up during this time, I ask that you bow your heart, that you humble yourself, and you pray to God for forgiveness as the elements are being passed. I'm going to ask those who are helping lead and distribute communion if you could come on up. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your great grace, for your mighty name, for for Jesus, who made the sacrifice that was accepted by you so that our sins can be forgiven. Lord, I pray that by your holy name, by the power of your spirit, that we would return to you by your help. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.